Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing our series on the book of Daniel. We're up to week four today, which I'm really excited about. And it is loosely based upon the book of Chris Hodges called The Daniel Dilemma. We have lots of copies in the Resource Centre. Is that right? We did have, they keep selling out. We're getting them in. They sell out, we get them in. They sell out, we get them in. This book is a game changer. If you're not prone to reading, I would say, hey, make a decision to read one book in your life. Read this one because it's a life-changing, game-changing book that's going to help you because the book of Daniel is all about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And you and I live in a culture of compromise today. And like Daniel and his three friends, we need to know what it is to be able to stand firm and yet at the same time love well in this culture that has been infiltrated and utterly and totally compromised. And so we've been looking at the Daniel and the book of Daniel in particular. This book was written some two and a half thousand years ago. And really the book of Daniel teaches us how to be in a culture, but not of a culture. And week one, we looked about how, what it is to stand out. Week number two, what it means to stand up. Last week, Ashley spoke about what it means to stand strong. And today we're going to look at what it means to stand firm. Everyone say stand firm. Stand firm is what God has called us to do. In actual fact, this theme of standing firm is right throughout the Scriptures. In actual fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, be men of courage, be strong and do everything in love. In other words, don't be a jerk about it. You know, so it's about standing firm but loving well. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to stand firm. And next week we're going to pick up on the whole loving well theme. But today it's about standing firm. You see, Paul wrote this to believers that were facing a situation of deny God or die. You know, many of the um, early church were faced with this deny God or die. In actual fact, all of the apostles, with the exception of Judas who hung himself, all of the apostles were brutally murdered because of their faith in Christ. They refused to deny God and they were killed as a result of their faith. And we've seen that right throughout church history. Even to this very day, there are people dying because they refuse to deny God. In World War II, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged for his faith. And at the end, this is what he said, my end is coming and my new life is beginning. Tell my family that. Wow. Just let that sink in for a moment. My end is coming, my new life is beginning. Tell my family that. You see, in our culture, we may never face that kind of pressure. The kind of pressure that we may face is, do we pray out aloud grace at a restaurant or not? I mean, I don't know if I should, it's a little bit awkward, you know, but it's certainly not the kind of situation that we see Paul facing, Dietrich Bonhoeffer facing, much of the church, the persecuted church today is facing and much of the early church and what they faced And indeed, Daniel and his friends face. I believe though, nonetheless, that God wants to put a courage on the inside of us to be able to make a decision. 
because circumstances are changing rapidly. And I believe there's coming a day where we may have to stand for our faith in a way that we've never had to stand before. We need to face the fact that we may need to make a decision that we've never had to make before. And the book of Daniel contains two hallmark deny God or die stories. One of them we looked at last week, and that's Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, these, these are stories that you grow up even as kids. And Ashley did a brilliant job of sharing on that last week. But today I want to look at the other story of our good friends, Rad, Sack and Benny. You know those guys? And they were faced with this situation, deny God or be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so pick up with me in Daniel chapter 3. And verse 1, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. I want you to get that word in your head right now, maybe underline it or highlight it in your um, Bibles there. Image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image. There it is again, he has set up. So the satraps and all those officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed this, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image, there it is again, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Lots of instruments there. I bet the guy who learnt the zither at school got teased. You know, what do you learn? I played the zither. Really, I played the drums, the guitar, zither. Good on you. Anyway. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as you hear the sound, there's another key word to underline or highlight, the sound of the horn, flute, zither and all those other instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There are two key words I want to highlight very quickly in our introduction this morning, and that is the word image and sound. We see that an image was created. It was a, a 90 feet, 30 metre tall image. So it was tall, it was impressive, it was intimidating. But not only that, it was made of gold. So it was bright, it was shiny and it was expensive. Culture will throw images your way that are big, impressive and intimidating and bright and shiny and expensive. Be careful of the images that culture throws at you. We live in an image conscious culture. You've only got to look at social media. We can't just put a normal photo up. You've got to filter it. You've got to doctor it. You've got to do this because the image is really important. And if you take a group photo, you want to make sure the image of you is okay. And it could be a great photo of you. It could be a really bad one of the person next to you. They may have their eyes closed. They may have their mouth open. But as long as the image of you is good, you will post it. And you say, what a great photo. Yeah, maybe of you, but not of the poor friend next to you. We are very image conscious. This is not a new thing. I want you to get this. This was written some two and a half thousand years ago. And then it says a sound. It says, as soon as you hear the sound of the music, bow down and worship. 
In other words, culture uses images and sounds to get its God on the inside of you. Culture is going to use images and sounds to get its God on the inside of you. He is very subtle. And that's why He uses these things to sneak up on us. If this is true, and it is, then we always need to guard what we hear and what we see. I cannot be strong enough about this church. We have to guard what we hear and what we see. What we open our eyes up to and what we open our ears up to is really important as to whether or not we're going to be indoctrinated by the culture in which we are in or not. We need to guard against what we hear and what we see. Why? Because the devil is sneaky. He masquerades as an angel of light. And we may find ourselves saying, you know, it's just a movie. Well, that movie may be the thing in your life that is just really unhelpful for you in this season. You may say, it's just a song. It's just a joke. Uh, It's just one night out. It's just a drink. We're going to be careful what we see and what we listen to because what we see and what we listen to is going to determine the culture we adopt for our lives. And I don't want to be a religious prude by any stretch of the imagination. But there are some things that I have given myself to not giving myself to because I don't want to be indoctrinated by the culture in which we live. Are you with me today? You know, people say, can you go to nightclubs as a young person? My question is, can you go and not be influenced by that culture based upon the images you're seeing, based upon the things that you're listening to? Again, I don't want to be a religious prude, but we do have to be careful when it comes to making decisions about what we give our eyes to and what we give our ears to, because that's going to shape the culture. That's why I'm a great believer in reading the words. If we can get the Word of God into us and see and hear the Word of God, it's going to shape the culture in us, because whatever we give our ears and eyes to is what shapes the culture. It goes on to say, this is what you are commanded to do in verse 4. In other words, culture will always make you feel like you have to do this. When you see the image and when you hear the music, I want you to bow down. That's classic culture talking. It makes you feel like you have to do, that you do not have a choice. I I just had to. But we do have a choice as believers. And then it goes on to say that we are to worship the image. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't say worship me. He said worship the image. And again, this highlights the subtlety of the enemy. The enemy's not obvious. He doesn't say, I want you to worship me. The goal of the devil is not to worship him. The goal of the devil is for you not to worship God. So he doesn't care what it is that you worship as long as it's not God. You don't have to worship the devil. You just have to worship, you just have to make sure that you just, he just wants you not to worship God. Does that make sense this morning? And so we have to guard our heart and stand firm that we are not unwise to the enemy's schemes. You see, all of us are created by God to worship. Every one of us in this room, believe it or not, is a worshipper. There, there is a God-shaped hole inside of each and every one of us that is created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something or someone else. And the devil does not care what thing or somebody it is as long as it's not God. And culture will make you feel like you've got to do this. If you go to this school, oh, you've got to do that. Everyone's doing it. You ever heard that saying? Everyone's doing it. Yeah. Well, well, maybe everyone is doing it, but not this guy. 
That's the attitude that we have to adopt because that's what we see these young men adopted. And then it goes on to say, if you refuse, there'll be a consequence. You'll be thrown into the blazing furnace. And there is often consequences when it comes to us when we choose not to go along with the culture. When we choose not to engage in certain jokes or certain profanities in the workplace, there could be a cost to that. When you decide as a young person to remain pure and wait till your wedding day before you sleep with anybody, there may be a cost initially. People may tease you because that's the pressure that culture will try to place on you. And my heart as a pastor is trying to train and equip you to stand firm even in the midst of opposition, to stand firm when culture is trying to pressure you to do something you know is not right. In actual fact, if if we were honest with ourselves, I think most of us want to do what's right. But we just don't always know how to. And so this series and this book is all about equipping people how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And, And this series is me sharing my heart about how we can stand firm and not compromise and love well in this situation. Are you with me today? Yeah. So that's what I want to do today is just, just talk about how we can do that. And the first thing is standing firm requires courage. Everyone say courage. courage. You see, courage comes from the French word core, which means heart. In other words, courage is something that comes from your heart. Contrary to popular belief, courage is not the absence of fear, But courage is standing firm in spite of your fear. In Daniel chapter 3, let's pick up the story again. Verse 12, it says, But there were some Jews, so the decree had been made, and these officials came back to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, Hey, King, we've done everything you've asked, but there are some Jews, and, 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 and worse still, they're on your team. They're some of your leaders. He says, there are some Jews who've been set over, you who set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship your image that you have set up. Furious with rage, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, I want you to put yourself in the story. So I think sometimes we know the story so well, it doesn't touch us anymore. We just gloss over it because we know the end of the story. So we don't sit in the middle of the story and let it speak to us afresh. But I want you to put yourself in this moment. You know the consequence. It's been made very clear that you'll be thrown in a fiery furnace if you do not bow down and worship this image. And look at the courage of these young men. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wow. Talk about courage. In other words, we're not afraid of you. We're not going to be bullied by you. We don't even need to defend ourselves before you. Now, if you were to ask those boys, were you afraid? I'm sure there was fear in the mix but they didn't allow their fear to control their decision. 
There was something that came up on the inside of them. And quite frankly, that's something I don't see a lot of today. We need people who are motivated and driven by a courage that comes from deep within. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's from that place of deep inside of us should come this courage, even in the midst of fear. And I believe for us to be able to stand firm, we need to find an inner strength that comes from the one that's greater on the inside of you than the one that is out there in the world. This is what God wants for us in order to stand firm. Because I believe He's going to put us in situations where something is stirred on the inside of us. And I want you to go with what is stirred on the inside and not just your fear that comes. I remember as a young man in my teenage years at roller skating, which is where I met my wife at roller skating. And I played soccer the day before. And I never forget, something went down at soccer. To me, it was done and dusted. We were playing Modbury. Parahill was playing Modbury. It was, always a, it was always kind of like a, it was a soccer match, but there was a lot of brutality. But it was just one of those things. It's just, it just was. Whatever, for whatever reason, when Parry Hills played Modbury, there was just stuff that went down. And, and this game was no different. Stuff went down. But you know what? Generally speaking, at the end of the game, it was just the end of the game. You just get on with it. You know, you'd be mates at the end of it. And so I went to skating that night, having played on the Saturday. And I got wind that one of the guys that I had a bit of a scuffle with on the field was there with six of his mates. There were seven of them. And they, weren't, they didn't come to roller skate. They came just to pulverise me. And so I had three and a half hours of skating to think about this and get intimidated by this and allow fear to rise to the point of just losing all joy. And I never forget thinking, you know what? This is ridiculous. And I'm a teenager. I'm about 15 years of age. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I, I, I kind of devised a little plan. Uh, what I was unaware of is how many of my friends left early that night. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. They were all telling me, did you know so-and-so's here to actually beat you up? And, and I said, yeah, you've, you've told me a few times. And in fact, all my friends have told me. But none of my friends who told me about it were there standing with me. And I thought, I, I can just be bullied and I knew if I, didn't, if I didn't face up to this thing on that night, it would just live with me and haunt me Saturday night after Saturday night after Saturday night. I don't want to be that guy. And I never forget taking my skates off at 10.30 at night, putting them in my bag, grabbing my girlfriend's hand, and there was a path that I could walk that took me to my car, um, or I could go over to where they were standing. They're in this little circle. And I thought, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I would rather... I remember thinking I would rather get beaten up tonight and end this thing than just live with the fear of it forever. And I remember having cast hands. She's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and just walking straight through the circle. And I found myself in the circle and said, well. And one guy, the guy who was going to beat me up, said, hi, Tony. <laughs> said, hi. Said, is that it? Said, yeah. And so I bust through the circle on the other side and kept walking. And nothing happened. I didn't get beaten up. It was amazing. It was awesome. But if you were to ask me, was I afraid? Yeah. I mean, my heart, if I had one of those watches, it was, my heart was going. It was racing. I was nervous. But I allowed something on the inside. I said, I'm not going to be bullied. 
I'm not going to let this thing rob me. I'm not going to let this thing rule me. I'm not going to let this thing go on and on and on. And I believe that that's on the inside of each and every one of us. And you can stand against culture. You can stand firm against culture when it's wanting you to do things that you know is wrong and don't want to do it. So the first thing it's going to take when it comes to standing strong is courage. Secondly, standing firm requires faith. What is faith? Faith is believing that God is with you. It's many things, but in its simplest, purest, it's just believing that God's with you. And not only that, God is for you, that God is on your side, that God will deliver you out of whatever it is that you are facing. It says you believe in that. I do not have to stand alone. I do not have to stand alone. I'm not alone. And again, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 17, this is the boy's response. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. It's pretty bold. But he puts his little claws in. He says, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. See how kind and gracious and loving he's being? Even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. See, faith is believing that God is able to deliver you no matter what. But even if He doesn't deliver you, you still win. I believe God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. That's what they were saying. But even if He doesn't, I would still rather die and do what's right than live and do what's wrong. I mean, what do you do with a person like that? What do you actually do with a person like that? Paul the Apostle was much like that. He faced death again and again and again. He was threatened many times. And he says, hey, what's the matter? For me to die is Christ. Like, what? Well, we'll keep you alive then. Great. For me to live is to be with you guys and to help build the church. That's awesome. I win whether I'm alive or whether I die. This is something I believe God wants to get on the inside of us. This win-win, can-do attitude. Amen. Because faith focuses on what it's for and not what it's against. See, we're not called to hate culture. We're called to love God. We, we see these young boys, they're not, they're not arguing. They're not saying we don't agree with you. They're just saying, you know what, we just so love God. You do what you've got to do. We're just not going to worship your God. We're just going to keep worshiping God. We're, just, we're so in love with God, we're just going to keep worshiping Him. Faith is not what we're against, it's what we're for. We do not want to be known as a church what we are against. We want to be known as a church what we are for. We're for the church. We're for God. We're for people. Are you with me today? What was the king's response? Well, he got pretty angry. Verse 19, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. And it goes on to say that he chose some of the strongest soldiers to bind these three boys and threw them in the furnace. The trouble is the furnace was so hot, the 20 soldiers, the strong soldiers all died because it was so hot. So mad. And then, much to King Nebuchadnezzar's shock and horror, he looks into the fiery furnace and he says to his officials, 
Were there not three boys? Were there not three men that we threw into the fire? And they said, yes, Your Majesty. He says, well, why is it that I don't see three, but I see four men in the fiery furnace? And why is it that the fourth guy looks like the Son of God? The reason the fourth guy looked like the Son of God is because he was the Son of God. You see, what you need to know is that Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And some 2,000 years ago, He spent about 33 years here on planet Earth. But before that moment, He was. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In other words, Jesus has always been around. And what we see throughout Scripture is every now and then, while Jesus spent most of His time in heaven with the Father, every now and then, He would just, just enter earth for a little bit. He would just be like, hey, Dad, can I just go down and help? And then He would just come to planet earth and just have an appearance and then go off. And this is what is known as the theology of theophany, where Jesus basically gets permission from the Father just to go down to planet earth, and He does. And He did that before Joshua one day. And Joshua says, whose side are you on? He says, I'm the commander in chief. I'm not here to be on any side. I'm here to take over. And Joshua realises he's in the presence of greatness and bows down and worships him. Why? Because he was standing before the Christ. And then he pops up to heaven again. He says, oh, Dad, that was amazing. That was so much fun. (laughs) And when these three boys were thrown in the fiery furnace, Jesus again looks at the father and says, hey, Dad, how about... Can I just go down there? I, just, I would love to freak King Nebuchadnezzar out. I would, I would just love it. I would love to see the look on his face. And, and the Father's in heaven saying, yeah, I would love to see that too. That'd be kind of, all the angels in heaven going, that'd be awesome. And so Jesus just goes, pop. He says, he's in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar's going, why is it there's four men and why does one of them look like the Son of God? He looks like the Son of God because he is the Son of God. Because that's what faith is, knowing that God is with you no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. God is with you. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And this transcends just a a mental uh, thought about it. It's something we have to live with and believe that God is with us. I'm so grateful that when I spent 2016 in hospital, I knew on my worst day that God is with me. And I knew there was something far worse than dying. And that was living and losing my testimony. I knew far worse than dying would be a comeback and just, we know, why did God make me sick? Why did I have to spend time in hospital? Why do I have to have heart surgery? Why me? Why? I'm like, if that's how I'm going to live, take me now. Seriously, my wife deserves better than that. My kids deserve better than that. Church deserves better than that. You know what? For me to die, I get to be with Jesus. For me to live, I have an incredible story. I've told my story all over the world. Made people laugh, made people cry. It's been amazing. And I remember when I came out of that uh, sick period where I felt like I was dying, my body was shutting down. The medication and prayer kicked in. I got my strength back and I said, Devil, you're going to wish I had a diet. I'm going to make this hell for you. And I've been doing that ever since. It's just been a lot of fun, to be honest. But that's what faith is. It's an assurance that God's with you. God's on your side. He's for you. He's right there with you in your fiery furnace. And so King Nebuchadnezzar calls these boys out. And here's the cool thing. They weren't burnt. 
The clothes weren't burnt. And they didn't even smell like smoke. How cool is that? I believe God can place you in a culture and you don't have to smell like that culture. What would smelling like the culture look like? Well, when we drink like they do, when we speak like they do, when we swear like they do, I believe we can actually be in that place where we're just different. We're just different. I mentioned before, Andre and I had a great time in America, meeting many new people. And when we got talking about Jesus in the church, you're a pastor? You're a pastor? They can't believe it. And yet we weren't getting drunk with them. We weren't doing all the crazy things that some of these guys were doing. But there was something that was just different. And I believe we can live in a culture without being tainted by the culture. You say, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. You know what? That's, that's the best place you can possibly be. Because you can be the difference in that workplace. Are you with me? And thirdly, standing firm inspires others. Let's, let's get the band up here. That'd be great. Standing firm inspires others. Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because of their faith, King Nebuchadnezzar has a conversion. He says, wow, their God is the real God. By you saying no to sleeping around, no to getting drunk, no to get involved in crude and crass jokes, you might cop a little bit initially, but eventually it's going to start inspiring people. And it's going to become the attractive quality. And pretty soon, they're going to start asking you questions. We've seen this happen over and over again. What started out as something hard became something quite easy because it's hanging around. And King Nebuchadnezzar was kind of like, wow, your God truly is God. And then he changes all his decrees. He's so inspired by these young men's faith. He says, now, what I want you to do is no longer worship the image. I want you to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, and whoever doesn't worship him will be cut to pieces. He was saved. He just wasn't quite sanctified. He was just... Work in progress, aren't we all? And then it says in verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe if we'll stand firm and endure some of the opposition and stay consistent during the time of opposition, we'll begin to inspire others. And you'll see that it goes on that these three boys were actually promoted. Only a moment ago, they've been thrown into a fiery furnace, left for dead, and now here they are being promoted. You know, there's many things I'm proud of this church. 
and they're all people related. But I heard just yesterday, Mitchie, my son's got a, a job working at Hoyt's and he's one of about five or six young men and women from this church that work at that particular Hoyt's. And the boss said, are there any more young men and women from your church? Because we'd like to hire them because you guys just work like nobody else. Isn't that awesome? I mean, come on. I mean, isn't that awesome? I love that. I love that. Well done, parents. If you're the parents of one of those young men or women, well done. It's a good thing. What a great thing. I believe that's the kind of influence God wants us to have as a church. He wants us to stand firm. Why? Because we're, we're on a mission. We actually have a mission as a church, and it's to connect people to God, to His church, and to their purpose. We're in the middle of a starting point, training and equipping people to know who God is, to see people set free, see them discipled, trained, equipped, and ultimately released. Because we need more people on our team to fulfill the mission. And so if you're new to this church, or if you're new to Christianity, then, then I would strongly suggest that your next step to take is to get involved in starting point where you can learn about who God is, who you are, who we are, and what the job at hand needs to be done. Because we, we need you. We're not here just to entertain people. We're here on mission because we want to see saved people, or lost people saved. We want to see saved people pastored and we want to see pastor people discipled and we want to see disciple people released, mobilised, sent forth into their God-given shape. That's what we desire to see. And in order for that to happen, just by way of closing, three things real quick. Number one, we need to stand firm. And we need to stand firm in prayer. We're not going to do this without prayer. We need to stand firm when it comes to praying. Prayer might be that thing you used to do. If that's the case, I'd say pick it up again. We need to be praying. We need to be praying as a church. We need to be praying in our small groups. We need to be praying as individuals. We need to be praying as families. We need to stand firm in prayer. We need to stand firm for your purpose. Don't, don't throw your purpose away just because it got tough, just because it got hard. There's many times I felt like giving up. We are a church that turns 25 years old next February. I felt like giving up a few times, but here we are still here, still doing the same thing, still inspiring people with the love of God to see people connected to God, to His church and to their purpose. Let's stand firm when it comes to our purpose. Yeah. And let's stand firm when it comes to God. Let's stand firm for God. Why? Because He stood for you. You know, the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen. He was preaching the good news. You can read it in Acts chapter 6. He's preaching the good news and the religious people did not like what they were hearing. And there was a young man by the name of Saul who later became Paul, who later became an apostle and wrote much of the New Testament. But he was there. He didn't like what Stephen was saying and he was there giving approval for this stoning to take place. Traditionally, a stoning would be a man tied to a pole and people would just start throwing rocks. 
And when the stoning was finished, you would no longer see the man. They'd just be covered in rocks. Stephen died that way. First Christian martyr. The Bible says that Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father. But when he saw this young man, Stephen, standing for him, Jesus was so impressed that he actually stood for Stephen. And I believe when we choose to stand for Jesus in the midst of our pain, Jesus sees that and He stands for us. Effectively, Jesus said, if you'll stand for me, I'll stand for you. We stand this morning. I want this series to totally revolutionise our thinking. I want this series to go from just head knowledge into our heart. That a courage would be formed. That we would get on mission. If we're not on mission now, that we'll get back on mission. Because there's so much work to be done. My prayer for each and every one of us today is that we not only see and hear but they would actually implement the Word of God today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 